Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Thank you for going on this journey with me. We're now entering our third podcast on Paul. We have learned how Paul was completely transformed from really a self-righteous Pharisee who persecuted Christians to our most successful biblical evangelist who traveled almost 10,000 miles preaching the good news of Jesus to the Gentile nations, which we've learned are the non-Jewish people. In our last podcast, we saw that God used Paul's past sins as a way to bring God all the glory. As people heard about Paul's past life and his complete reversal of understanding who Jesus was, they were drawn to him with the promise that, hey, they too could repent of their past sins and become new again. Paul was living proof of God's grace and mercy. Once Paul had his conversion experience and was directed by God to leave Jerusalem, Paul traveled extensively, starting churches literally wherever he went. Paul was a very passionate person, and so even when he wasn't physically with his churches, the Bible tells us he still held them in his heart, and he felt the weight of responsibility for them, and so he wrote letters to encourage them. And so much of the New Testament we've learned is made up of Paul's letters to some of these churches. And we know for certain that Paul wrote at least 13 letters, which are included in the New Testament. And then scholars have debated whether or not Hebrews was written by Paul. And if so, well, that makes 14 books. In this podcast, I want to focus on how much Paul ended up suffering for Christ's sake and also what that means for us as Christ followers. Looking at Luke's account of Paul's transformation, Luke tells us that the Lord actually gave Ananias a heads up as to what Paul's life was going to be like going forward. Luke says that God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9, this man that I've chosen as my instrument to bring my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, unquote. Paul's newfound religion was not trouble-free. The stories in the book of Acts and his letters really make that clear. But Paul says he considered suffering for the sake of the gospel really a small price to pay considering the fact that Christ's death and resurrection had literally saved his life. Paul talks about his suffering for the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. Listen to this. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, and I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. 
are these servants of Christ. I know I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And actually, I'm going to add it's actually four times, but when he was writing this, it was only three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Unquote. He then continues later in 2 Corinthians, and this is chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Unquote. Wow, that's a lot to take in. Paul the once religious elite, learned man who spoke various languages and was well-respected and held in high esteem by his peers, we learn has been whipped, imprisoned, starved, shipwrecked, robbed, beaten, and then has this painful affliction that he refers to as a, quote, thorn in the flesh. In my study Bible, it actually discusses that some think it wasn't a thorn. It's possibly malaria or epilepsy. Regardless, God doesn't take away his affliction, he says, and sometimes Paul wrote that it even kept him from his ministry. However, this affliction and all that happened to Paul kept him humble. He says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognizes that, you know, it's pretty difficult to reach our hands up to God when they're full. When things are going well, we don't often turn our eyes heavenward, do we? Paul's troubles have 
reminded him of his constant need for God and to not rely on himself or his own understanding. What a witness for the Lord he was. God's power is displayed in weak people. In admitting our weaknesses, we are in turn affirming God's strength. Now, yes, there was a time when Paul relied on his own strength, his own wisdom, his own understanding of Scripture, and his sense of right and wrong. But now, Paul writes in his letter to Philippians, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Right before this, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any And every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul wants the people of Philippi, those are the people in Northeast Greece, to know in this letter that, hey, when we face life's challenges, Christ is sufficient to give us what we need. However, Paul also wants us to discern between needs and wants. I know as a youth leader, I really struggled with trying to teach this to a bunch of teenagers. And of course, as a parent, I also struggled to try to teach this to my own children. Yes, we all want to avoid pain and suffering. And who wants to go without something? It's a hard lesson. But the truth is that we honestly may not get all that we want here on earth. But by trusting in God, we will get all that we need. This is part of that transformative power of being a follower of Christ that Paul talks so much about. We may not have it all here on earth, but by being a Christ follower, Christ can actually change our attitude and our appetite to change from wants of the world to accepting what he gives us, literally with open hands and open hearts. As we look at some of the incredible hardships that Paul experienced, Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Well, I think even today, 2,000 years later, we can accept that that's true. In many parts of the world, Christians are still imprisoned or put to death for their beliefs. You know, that could happen here. But right now, Christians are still misunderstood and criticized and canceled or shut down because of their beliefs. Our beliefs are under attack today, just as they were during the time of Paul. The Gospel writer Mark quoted Jesus as saying, this very thing would continue to happen. And this was Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. While few of us likely will be flogged with an inch of our lives, Paul was given 39 lashes five times, And few of us will be shipwrecked, as I said. Poor Paul was actually shipwrecked four times. And while few of us will be bitten by a viper, yeah, check that box, Paul got bitten after being shipwrecked on the island of Malta. But regardless, Paul tells us we really do need to be ready to suffer for the gospel. Remember, if we're true Christ followers, the Bible says, We have to shed that skin of being of this world. Again, Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does suffering look like for us? Well, we need to follow a different path. We need to serve God not the world. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. He says, look, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul goes on to talk about living as children of light. What does that mean? Well, that's just uh, in Ephesians, just a little bit before what I just read. And this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed, unquote. Jesus' disciple Peter, in his letter called 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter talks about how, as Christians, we need to be different. He says, quote, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter then goes on to point out that, look, We're just temporary residents here on earth. 
This is not our end game. Now, when Peter says to be holy, he says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Guys, that doesn't mean perfect. The meaning of holy here means to be set apart, be different. Don't be like the world. Both Peter and Paul talk about the fact that if our entire life here on earth is spent following our own path and seeking our own pleasure, we will have missed the entire point of life. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, says in chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, unquote. In other words, Paul cautioned that if you spend your entire life planting your own selfish desires and pleasures, well, you're going to get a crop of sorrow. But planting to please God, while here on earth you may not get all of life's pleasures, you'll reap everlasting joy and everlasting life. But, okay, let's be honest. How many of us kind of want to have it both ways? Yes, we want to believe in Jesus because, well, that's just good fire insurance. But we also want to live life our way. Isn't that our right? Isn't that what the media says and the culture says? You do you. I really like the way Pastor Bill Bush of Rock Point Church here in Arizona describes this set-apartness that we're called to be as Christians, this holy set-apartness. He likens it to being in the military. He says that when you enlist, you know that you have a job to do, and quite honestly, it might cost you your life. The best soldiers have already decided when they go into battle, they could possibly die in this cause, but they're ready. Are you ready to die for Jesus? Maybe not literally, but figuratively? Die to self? Die to lifestyle? Die to sexual immorality? Die to temptation? Why should I be willing to do this? Well, because Jesus left heaven. He left his perfect, wonderful home to come down to earth in the form of a man. And he suffered and died a horrible death on a wooden cross for us. He paid the ransom for our sins. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he who believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. I'm going to, again, quote Pastor Bill 
Bush of Rock Point. He so eloquently said in one of his sermons titled Refiner's Fire, if you embrace this world and not Jesus, this world will be the closest to Jesus you will ever come. But if you follow Jesus, this will be the closest thing to hell you will ever experience. Whoa, think about that for a moment. Do you want this to be your heaven? Well, then keep on living the false lies of the deceiver. Keep on living for you. But you'll be sorely disappointed on the other side. But if you're a follower of Christ and you're sometimes disappointed in this world, hold on, this isn't the end. Suffer for his sake now and spend an eternity in his glorious presence. That actually sounds like a vacation brochure, but <laughs> this is a lifetime brochure. But you might say, well, I do want to follow Christ. I do want to suffer for him. Well, maybe a little bit as long as it doesn't hurt, but okay, how do I do it? Paul talks a lot about this because he knew what he was talking about. He says that we, just like he did, well, we need to put off our old self. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, he says, you were taught with regard to your old way to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, to be created like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on to say a few sentences later that we should be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you know how kids often imitate their parents? Well, Paul says God should be our role model. We should imitate him. Hmm. I have to really think about who my role model is. Who are we imitating? Who are we focused on becoming more like with our thoughts, our words, and our deeds? Look, we don't know how long we're here on earth. Paul says, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, that's probably really good advice. But how do we know what the Lord's will is? You pray and you read the Bible. Set your eyes on Christ. He's the prize. Share the good news with others. But remember, just as Paul suffered, sharing the gospel may not be well received. Those who are against Christ don't like to be reminded of the fact that they're fighting against God. So their tactic will be to get rid of the messenger. Yes, the gospel is a message of hope and life. But Jesus was honest in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. 
He said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For they so persecuted the prophets who were before you, unquote. And just as during the life of Paul, when the book of Acts said, and the word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase. Guess what? The word of God continues to grow today. In fact, we can now say there's no nation on earth where the gospel has not reached. Thank you, internet. <laughs> Nothing can stop the progress of the church. Paul talked about this fact in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 31, and then verse 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is quoted again in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ain't nobody know how going to stop the church. Will everybody get on board? Sadly, no. But everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. Not everyone wants to accept the invitation, but that doesn't mean we stop inviting. Some invitations may be ignored, thrown back in our face, or even laughed at. But keep on keeping on. This is important. Suffer a little for the gospel, for the reward is great. Not just for you, but for all those people who accepted your invitation. Have a blessed day. Be a blessing to others and share that good news.